The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Hi, this is Pastor Pete Rehrman. The following sermon is a re-recording from the March 12th service. Due to a technical failure, the sermon was unavailable, and so we've recorded it again for you without the congregation. Well, we are continuing in our study through the Gospel of Matthew, and today we finish up chapter 6. And if you have your Bible, let's turn now to Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What a great passage that we have for us this morning. And this passage is about many things. You might even be thinking about the different applications that you could draw from this passage, and there are many. It is true that this passage is about finding financial contentment. It's true that this passage is about overcoming anxiety and worry and fear. This passage is about growing in a healthy self-image and, and having a healthy self-esteem. But yet there is one thing that this passage is ultimately about. The thing that this is ultimately about is this. It is ultimately about asking the question, what shapes you? It is about recognizing what, at the end of the day, gives us a sense of meaning and purpose and understanding. What drives us to do everything that we do? Our attitudes, our hopes, our fears, our dreams, our behaviors. What shapes your life? The focal point of this passage is a simple statement from Jesus and one that may be familiar to you where he says in verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Something will shape you. Something will form your thoughts and your behaviors and attitudes. The burdens that you carried into the service this morning, the thoughts that fill your mind, 
the feelings that, that fill your heart, the things that you're thinking about right now. You're being shaped by something. We're all being shaped by something. And Jesus calls this something treasure. We're either shaped by the earthly treasures of this world or we're shaped by heavenly treasures of the kingdom of God. Look at your highest joys, your deepest sorrows, and you will find there the thing that you treasure most. Think about the time you were angry or most frustrated or stressed out. Think of the time that you laughed so hard that you cried. That is your treasure. We are made by God to be treasure seekers. We are made with an inborn desire to worship, to love, to always be desiring something amazing. The question is not, are you a treasure seeker or do you have a treasure in your life? The question is, what is it? What is your treasure? Where do you spend most of your energy? What causes you the most anxiety and worry? What wakes you up in the middle of the night to the point where you cannot go back to sleep? It's a treasure knocking on your door. One of the most, uh, America's most famous motivational speakers was Zig Ziglar and he said this, he said, show me your calendar and your checkbook and I will tell you what is most important in your life. Take an iPhone away from my one-year-old and you will find out what she treasures most in her life. You see, we must be careful what we treasure because that treasure will end up ruling our lives. Our money, our calendar, they act like a thermometer for the condition of our heart. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What does a thermometer do? Well, a thermometer It checks the condition of the air. It tells us the condition of a meat or the internal temperature of your body to see if you're sick or not. We have a meat thermometer, but it's not called a meat thermometer. It's called a meat probe. Maybe a really gross name, but it's called that because of what it does. It goes deep into the core of the meat and tells us the temperature. It it exposes what drives us. It reveals us. And so Jesus shows us these two different treasures from two different kingdoms, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. And he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on this earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. First, the treasures of the kingdom of this world. When it comes to the treasures of this world, they can be material or immaterial. The material possessions are obvious, like like house and clothes and and cars and, and money, things that money can buy and even money itself. And yet then there are immaterial things of this world, things like self-image and reputation and our self-esteem or our position in our work or our power that we have over others. These are immaterial treasures of the earth. And it's not that Jesus says, don't want these things, don't pursue these things. He doesn't speak out against them. He does not say, don't enjoy these things, but he wishes to form our attitudes regarding earthly treasures. Just look at the examples that Jesus gives. He gives the example of food and drink and clothing. And I'm glad that he chooses such essential things in our life because it convinces us that Jesus is not asking us to choose between God and a life of enjoyment of material things. He's not saying, okay, Christians, you have two options. You either love me and reject material things or you reject material things and and enjoyment of them and you follow me. If he were saying that the most faithful Christians, then the most faithful ones would be hungry and thirsty and and needing to put on some clothes, for sure. But he's asking us, however, to choose between two treasures that drive us, two masters, 
It's another analogy that he uses. You cannot want what God wants and not arrange your life around his treasure. He's wanting us to see that you cannot want God and have a healthy relationship with God and fail to arrange your life around what he treasures most. And so he gives us these three principles of earthly treasures, things that we can draw out of this passage. Here's the first principle of an earthly treasure is one, they won't last and are therefore powerless to give you lasting satisfaction. It's a simple and obvious principle, but one that Jesus makes anyway. It doesn't matter what you have, you can't take it with you. And therefore, to store up treasures on earth is a selfish love because it leads to nothing of eternal value. Maybe you've heard the the saying before, you will never see a U-Haul following a hearse during a funeral. It would be a peculiar scene to see a U-Haul with all the treasures of this now deceased person following the person to the grave because he cannot take it with him. We must not believe that anything that we create or possess can give us a true satisfaction that we seek. Be like if I pitched you a, a great investment opportunity, for instance, that I was very excited about, and I wanted you to invest in something that was very good and very exciting. It had promised a very good lucrative return for your investment. I wanted you, for instance, to invest in something called a video home system, also known as a VHS. Some of you in this room, I believe, have never even seen in person a VHS. They were wonderful. They were glorious. At one time in history, someone said when this was invented, they said, why didn't I think of that? And yet the VHS was here today and gone tomorrow. Do you realize that everything under the sun is here today and gone tomorrow? I think it was just maybe six months ago where I read that the last factory, the last company in Japan that was manufacturing VHS systems went out of business. And maybe you thought now what I was thinking then when I read that article, and that was, people are still making those things? Not anymore. Even the good things on earth are liable to decay and loss and corruption, with no exception. Jesus uses the hypothetical scenarios of of moth eating fine clothing to rust corroding things that we thought would last forever, like buildings and cars, to even the most valuable things being stolen. He uses this metaphor, this hypothetical scenario, to get a point across that nothing on earth can give us permanent security or satisfaction. Maybe uh, I have these really expensive clothing. Well, moth eats that away. Moths do not care. They are indiscriminate. They do not care if it's valuable. They will eat it anyway. Well, maybe it's the the building has been here for hundreds of years, but eventually it will rust and it will crumble. Well, I'll put my, my treasure in things like gold that cannot rust, but even that can be stolen. And Jesus uses this mysterious saying to reinforce the message. In verse 22, he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. What does he mean by this? The eye is the lamp of the body. Well, the lamp is what gives a person his way. The lamp is what enables a person to walk faithfully in the path that he has charted out for himself. Jesus would have us believe that if we are not careful, then we are in danger of having an unhealthy way of looking at things in our life in such a way that those things will corrupt our entire being. 
So this is the second principle of earthly treasures that he gets into, and that is this, that they are more powerful than you think. Earthly treasures are more powerful than you think, and so be careful how you enjoy them. Jesus has been talking a lot about what drives us, and here he wants us to think about something that might lead us to an uncomfortable realization, and that is this, it's possible that there exists in our life a huge gap between what we say we love and what we actually do love. This can happen to each of us without even knowing it. We are not immune. Do not think that we are immune to this. The treasures of this world are powerful. They grip our heart in ways that we cannot even be aware of. There is power in materialism. The treasures of the earth have a way of, of blinding us spiritually without even knowing it. It's very possible to become tone deaf to our own materialisms and love of the treasures of this earth. You know everybody has a smell in their house. You have a smell in your house, even your house. But you don't know that your house smells because you live there. It's familiar to you. You have a smell. Your person has a smell. And it smells like your house. And the house smells like you. And yet we cannot smell it ourselves because we live there all the time. Have you ever driven a certain route and you've driven... There are a hundred times, a thousand times you've gotten to your destination and you almost would wake up and think, well, how did I even get here? I don't even remember driving. Maybe it's a workplace or a grocery store or a park that you go to and you do it so much that you can do it in a sense of feeling you could do it blindfolded. It's because it's familiar to you. Well, Jesus is saying that treasures of this earth and our consumption of them, our use of them and enjoyment of them could become so familiar that it could motivate our heart. Our love for the treasures of the earth can be a motivating factor in why we do what we do and we might not even know it. Our treasures can be like that. No one wakes up today and says, today is the day I'm going to be greedy and selfish with my money. But most of us wake up that way anyway. If we are not giving away our money in biblical proportions, then the money or the things that money buys have a greater hold on our hearts than we might think. Because the treasures of this earth are so powerful. They go deep into our heart, and our heart bubbles out into a life and always into a life that we never wanted. The call for a healthy eye, then, is to see the world and its treasures as they truly are that they are incapable of giving us lasting satisfaction. And even worse, they can cause a spiritual blindness, a darkness in our life that is great indeed. And so, the third principle and warning from Jesus is this. These earthly treasures are meant to bless us, but never to shape us. It's not bad to have money. It is not bad to have expensive things and a wonderful wardrobe. It is not bad to have more food than we could ever eat. These are bad, however, when they become the things that drive our passions and our attitudes and our actions. Pastor and author and national speaker Paul Tripp says, a desire for even a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a ruling thing. Jesus says in verse 24, if you look there, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
This passage is one of the most grueling assessments of our human nature. It is one of the most unkind assessments of what goes on in our hearts on a daily basis, that we are extremely skilled at misusing God's blessing and mishandling His goods towards us to a point where we are selfishly motivated. And the result of it is astounding. The result of it is a life of anxiety, fear, worry, insecurity, and discontentment. Every sin is tied to a treasure problem. And left to ourselves, you and I will desire nothing of the kingdom of God. We care only for ourselves. And so how do we break this power of the treasures of the earth that it has on our lives? Well, we need to be treasure seekers of a different kind. As Jesus tells us, we ought to be people who seek the the kingdom of God, to seek first the kingdom of God. Verse 25 of this chapter to the end of the chapter changed my life. And I'm not exaggerating. I don't say this uh, hyperbolic. Uh, I don't, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not saying this as a hyperbole. This passage changed my life literally. It was the spring semester. The year was 2000. I was a student at the University of Arizona. My roommate at the time, and now an elder at Holy Cross, he knocks on my door. He opens it and says, and say, hey man, have you had your quiet time today? For those who don't know, a quiet time is, is spending time in reading the Bible and in prayer and in possibly in, in journal entries. And I reply to him, no, not yet. But in fact, I was lying somewhat. I had actually never had a quiet time in my life at that point. So I did what every, every person does that when they don't know where to go in the Bible or how to read it or, or what to read, I close my eyes, I hold the Bible up, and I drop it on my desk to see where it would open. And the Lord was pleased to let it open to Matthew chapter 6. And what I began to read was a story of my whole life. I began to read from Jesus' words, Him diagnosing and putting his finger on the story of my entire life. A life of misguided worship, a frenzied pursuit of worldly treasure that promised only to let me down, a life of anger and insecurity and worry and anxiety, a life of doubt in God's ability to even do anything in my life that was good, or even a doubt that he even cared at all for me. Does he even care about the circumstances of my life? These were the questions I had. And I want you, I want you to let Matthew 6 tell the story of your life as well. And what is that story? What is the story of your life that God is wishing to tell us this morning? It is this, that you and I cannot live for ourselves and have a healthy relationship with God. See, maybe it's not that you need a better job or a different job. Maybe it's not that you need a different spouse or a different neighbor or a different body type or a different children or to live in a different state. Maybe you have the wrong treasure. Maybe it's that your heart longs for things that God never intended to give you what only He can give you. See, if our problem was, was merely anxiety, 
then God in His Word would do His best to lead us into a life of serenity and a life of peace. He would tell us to go buy that house, that vacation home on the coast. He would tell us to go up to the mountains and to be secluded from all the stresses of life. God would tell us to, to run away from that which stresses us so that we would not be anxious. But He does not do that. You see, if our problem was merely a money problem, God would then lead us into a life of prosperity or He would lead us into a life of poverty. He would tell us to give everything that we have away and to live as poor. He would all, or He would tell us to, to do whatever we needed to do to make sure that we have money. But the truth is, in His Word, He leads us to neither of those two things. See, if our problem was merely a self-esteem problem, God would spend all of his effort in his word telling us just how wonderful and awesome we are. But do you realize that when we search the scriptures, he actually tells us the opposite? The Bible is not a book to boost our self-esteem. The Bible is not a book to make us think better about our natural condition. Because those are not our problems. You see, we don't have an anxiety problem. We don't have a worry problem. We do not have a money, money problem. We actually have a treasure problem. We have a problem with what ultimately shapes us and drives us and motivates our attitudes, our cares, our fears, our hopes, our behaviors in everything that we do. And so instead of pointing us to those things, Jesus points us to the treasure that we need to be seeking. He points us to the kingdom of God. And that is why Jesus came to this earth. He came to bear witness to the truth, the truth of the kingdom of God, the treasures of God, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ over all of creation where Jesus is the king and who rescues people from their sin. And you and I do not naturally look for that kind of kingdom. The Bible even tells us that in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Paul, the apostle, says, No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. You see, because no one seeks God, Jesus had to come seeking us. He came to seek us because we are anxious and we worry and we have fear and we have doubt and we have discontentment. And we are prone to enjoy the treasures of this earth and to, to a point where they become ruling treasures in our life. Jesus came not to make us merely better in our behavior. He came to give us the treasures of the kingdom of God, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, it means that we are to desire what God desires. It means that we are to be driven by what drives God. I'll explain it further with this brief story. Last summer, I was collecting seashells on the seashore. Say that ten times fast. I was doing this with my son, and we were spending maybe 20, 30 minutes walking around the beach collecting a good amount of shells. And it's amazing that you don't have to teach children what a, sh what a good shell is. You see, they're looking, obviously, for the big ones, the shiny ones, the ones that are not cracked or broken. They're looking for the ones that are multicolored and the most intriguing looking. And we're collecting this for about a half an hour, and I go deep where he doesn't feel comfortable going. I go to where the, the, the ocean waves are breaking, and I find, at that time, the mother of all seashells. 
It's a real beauty. And I yell out to him as I find him. I say, Cohen, check this out. And I hold it up for him to see. And he runs over to me with his hands full of an assortment of seashells, dozens of little shells and ranging in size and color. And he gets real close so that he can see what I found. He opens his eyes wide and his mouth even wider. And what do you think he does next? He drops all of his shells, everything that he took hold of, everything that he was proud of, everything that he was excited about collecting and finding, he dropped it right there at his feet and he took the shell in my hand. You see, what's the point of this? Well, when Jesus says to the worrier, O you of little faith, this is what he wants us to do. He is saying, why are you holding on to those treasures when I am offering you the greatest of them all. O you of little faith, to indulge in these earthly treasures when what I am offering you is the treasure of God. We cannot joyfully enjoy what God desires to give to us until we appropriately desire them less. Here he validates our desire for these things. He doesn't say, don't care about money. Don't care about food or clothing or possessions. He says, I understand that you need them. But don't put them where only I must be. See, faith in one sense is a gift from our Father. It's a, it, is, it is a gift from God that we cannot earn and we do not deserve. And yet faith in another sense is a practice in our life. We are called to practice our faith and to expand our faith. You and I need to practice letting go of worthless treasures and taking hold of treasures that truly last. How are we to take this command to not be anxious? See, one can hardly live a life avoiding trouble at all, for there is no doubt that we will encounter difficulty in this life and even today. We will encounter sorrow and worry. We will encounter stress in our life that might cause us to become anxious, and we cannot avoid this entirely. You see, this picture of the person who is without anxiety or worry or fear, it's not the person that's checked out of their life and disconnected and numb. It's not the person that's just letting go and letting God. And neither is it this happy-go-lucky person, this, this forever optimist that always has a smile on their face. Those people are crazy. I don't know about you but no one can be that happy. Faith is a gift, but it's also a practice. It's a practice of taking hold of God who has taken hold of us. Do you know what the Christian is? Do you know what a definition of a Christian is? A Christian is nothing less than the object of the gracious affection of the Father. Do you believe that if you're a Christian? Do you believe that you are the object of God's affection? Faith is, is an undistracted pursuit of God and what matters to Him, to which all other concerns must give way, assuring us of His loving care along the way. An undistracted pursuit of a God who has ultimate, eternal affection for us. But how can we be so sure? 
How can we be so sure that God's treasure is really worth all of this effort? Because to give up the treasures of the earth and to not trust in those things is so much energy. It requires so much discipline. How do we know that God's treasures are really ultimate and supreme so much that we would give our lives to them? Think again of my son. There was something. There had to be something that convinced my son in his mind and in his heart in that moment, in an instant, that he would drop everything from his hand, everything in that moment that was worthless to him in comparison to what I was offering to him. He had to be convinced in his heart that the shell that I was holding up was a real beauty. And he knew that everything in his hand was worthless in comparison. Are you convinced that the treasures of heaven are worth giving up everything. God wanted you and I to know the joy of his treasure so much that he thought it worth sending his son to die. How many of you have treasures on earth worth enough that you would give your child up for? See, this isn't God saying, we all have things to live for, I'm just giving you another option. I care about you and I want you to be well informed and I want you to think about living life with my treasures in mind. You know, so tomato, tomato, we all go our own way and here is another option. No, this is God saying this is so important, so necessary, so critical that I will give up my only son so that you can have this treasure. And Jesus said, yes, Father, this is a good plan, a plan I will joyfully give my life for so that sinners can know and take hold of this treasure. Is there anything on this earth that you value that much to do that much for? Jesus endured the cross with joy in his heart. He endured the wrath of his Father, the pain of suffering, the agony of death to give his people, the treasures of the kingdom. That's how good the treasure is. Usually people will die. They will put on the, their life on the line and die to protect the treasures they love most. But Jesus died to give God's treasure to you. Seek first the treasure of God. Let's pray together.